Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fourth season, we're looking at Kenneth Branagh's 2011 film, Thor. I'm Matthew Fox from TheEthicalPanda.com. And I'm Andy Nelson from The Next Real Film Podcast. And today we're talking about Minute 70, which begins with Loki taking a stroll into Utgard Hall and ends with him discussing a plot to kill Odin. Joining us this week, sadly for the last day, is Brian Lockhart, host of the Marine Corps Movie Minute and co-host of the Marvel Events Timeline podcast. Brian, I know you've done a lot of movie-by-minute podcasts. Uh, what's it been like for you taking a look at Thor through this lens? Kind of, how, how do you think it's changed how you see this movie? I, I honestly, I can't say it, it changed too much for me, um, just because I, I've already I've, I've revisited these movies so many times, um, and I, I, you know, I, I kind of have been applying the movies by minutes um, lenses, I guess, on MCU rewatches. You know, as I say, knowing that, you know what we learn later about characters like oh um you know like something that's uh, jumped out to me i'm on this last rewatch was odin choking up when he was talking about thor being his firstborn well mm, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. is that true I, well, I don't know but you know and then and then and where that <laughs> led me and I, you know and if i was if i was you know, on those minutes that would lead to a totally different, you know, longer conversation on things. Um, and I was having that conversation in my head just as watching it. So, um, I, again, well, I guess, I guess maybe it has changed it because as I said, I, I guess I, I am applying those lenses when I'm watching it, but, um, I mean, this movie's so good anyways, <laughs> at least in my opinion, mm-hmm. uh, Thor's one of the better characters of the MCU that I was doing it for pleasure anyways, let's just say. <laughs> yeah, I hear that. And you're right. I think one of the most fun parts for me about doing this has been, you know, doing this particular movie 10 years later when so much else about these characters has come out, you know, and I think that's going to be a lot of fun today because we're going to be talking a lot about Loki, whose character has had a huge arc since now. So and we'll get right into that after this quick moment. Have you ever heard of Patreon? Well, like so many podcasters out there, we are fans and we find it to be a great platform for our fans to support us by becoming patrons. We have upgraded, though, to their memberful platform, which allows us to build our patron support platform right into our very own website. So if you've been thinking about becoming a patron to show your love to the show, but you weren't sure because you couldn't find us on Patreon, just know we are, in fact, using their platform. You can learn more at memberful.com. Just visit truestory.fm slash Marvel Movie Minute, and you can find out what we offer to our patrons. It's only $5 a month, or you can get a discount if you join at the annual rate. Andy, I know, let's start with a conversation about cinematic geography, because the... Uh, <laughs> I have not found the uh, blueprints of Utgard Hall. We can't Google Maps Jodenheim. But what are you seeing here in terms of the way this shot is structured and what we see about where we are? It's it's a very confusing fly through that we do here. I mean, you know, we're we're coming in on Utgard Hall. 
And uh, we're, we're flying right through that arch that we saw at the beginning of the film in the flashback where uh, where Odin had his final confrontation with Laufey and they took the casket. In fact, we can see right there uh, the, uh, you know, I call it like the, the casket's socket where they plug it in <laughs> right there on the arch. Um, and, and so we fly through that. But I mean, the side that we're coming from looks kind of desolate rocky it looks like the train is not city like it's very much just kind of like destroyed everything's covered in snow and when we fly through i was kind of expecting to see oh there's the giant crevice where thor you know hit when he brought the lightning down it ripped that huge crevice uh running from here all the way down to kind of the bifrost junction i mean there's there's snow everywhere so it's really hard to tell but <laughs> but it's like, is this, I mean, are, are we meant to think that so much has been just kind of continuously crumbling here in, on Jotunheim that, I mean, the landscape just doesn't even look the same, like nothing as I, as, as we fly through the arch and we can see, oh, there's, there's the figure walking through the snow. So obviously this is the side where we had that big battle earlier in the film. Nothing looks familiar. And so it's it's crazy to me that um, I, I don't know what the decision was. Was it just to make it look more destroyed and, and everything kind of continues to crumble? But I was at least expecting to see the crevice. So I, it just it, it ends up bec becoming very kind of confusing when we keep coming back to to Jotunheim. And it just it never quite looks exactly the same. And so I, I don't know. I, I don't know if that's a point of frustration for for people in general or if it's just something I've been noticing now because we've been looking at it in such detail. It's the curse of a movie, but movies by minutes host because <laughs> I I didn't really notice it last night when I was watching. It didn't bother me anyways, you know. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. I, I think maybe this is a, a signal that the, the needle is not that far in my arm yet because <laughs> I, I, I didn't notice. But but I think what the way I would understand it, at least, is, I mean, what we were seeing at the end of their time in Jotunheim was, you know, the Jotun beast and like all the ice was falling apart. You're right. Like there's the the crevice that would be caused by Thor's lightning bolt. But it also just looked like everything was falling apart. So to me, that's a kind of, yeah, like all bets are off in terms of what this looks like. But but yeah, I also I was not seeing it through quite that lens. So they, and, and I think that's something that we've commented a couple of times on is it's a reminder how much movie how much our technology has advanced and how much movie making has changed just in the just in the last 10 years. Because I think today, I think movie makers and TV show makers are much more aware of the fact that people are going to be doing this shot by shot, stop, you know, pause every moment analysis. And so they care a lot more about those things. Whereas in 2011, maybe Kenneth Branagh was not thinking someone was going to be like bringing this level of depth. And so there was just a... I don't want to say a sloppiness, but like there just wasn't the, the attention to detail that we would expect from something today. That's likely. That's likely it. Um, but yeah, certainly it's it is one. Of, and and uh, yeah, I think to your point, I mean, the idea that I mean, we know Jotunheim is kind of falling apart because the casket's gone, and and uh, you know, from uh, in, since when they took it in 965 AD to now the planet even is kind of like crumbling into pieces. So, I mean, it's, it's definitely going through a lot. And then with Thor's lightning and everything, uh, it makes it hard. And yeah, I mean, anyone who's lived in an area where it snows, uh, particularly deep snows, 
you know, the landscape does almost look like an entirely different place. Uh, like when you go outside and it's all blanketed in snow, it, 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 everything looks a little different. As a Minnesotan, I will happily show you pictures of my backyard at four different seasons, and they don't look like the same place <laughs> in the slightest. Uh, Arizona, I'm guessing, is not quite that uh, oh snowy. Not. <laughs> not quite. Um, not quite. So we also get kind of we get a great shot of the pedestal where the the casket of ancient winter should be, which I think is kind of just a nice reminder of like that's part of what's happening here, and and then Loki is brought forth to see Laufey. Um, is this a planned visit? You think what? Because it does seem like he's having more of an official greeting, even if not necessarily. There's kind of a release the dogs moment, but like what what's happening here in terms of as as Loki is being brought forth to see Laufey. I, I, my first question is like, what was it that that Loki said that allowed him to like come up to the throne room? Because before, when they all arrived here, like Laufey seemed perfectly content to pretty much just you know leave them down in the courtyard and have a conversation with them from up on high, uh, in much more of a position of power. And so it was interesting to me that in this particular situation, Loki must have said something like. I would like to, you know, I'd like to have an audience with the king or something like that. It's 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 an interesting uh, shift that we didn't have earlier because I, I I would think that if Thor had said something like we'd like to have an audience with the king, like could they have gone up and actually had their meeting in the same space or was it just like what's the difference here? I guess is is what I find intriguing. I always kind of took it as this was an unplanned visit. And that Loki was just coming out because he's not coming with guards. He's not coming with an entourage that you would think if it was like a head of state visiting another head of state. Um, but and and the fact that he just kind of saunters in <laughs> and and I think that he does that just because he's he's Loki and he has confidence and he's just I'm coming in. And and the other thing that kind of makes me think that is isn't Luffy's first words is kill him. Like before, like yeah. just right away, kill him. He's yeah. here, kill him. Maybe, maybe they did do something official ahead of time to say, yes, you can come. And then that was just a way to get him there to kill him, <laughs> you know, but yeah, yeah. I mean, bringing him in a lot closer if your plan is to kill him, you know, um, and, and let's talk about those words because his first, his first thought is kill him. And I, I there's, there's kind of a sequence that happens there. He says, kill him. Loki gives this reaction. That's kind of like. I thought we were having chicken for dinner. You know, I mean, it's not, he's surprised, but it's not much. And what I also really noticed is that no one obeys. Like, often you'd expect there's a moment where he says, kill him, and like three of the frost giants move forward, and then Loki speaks, and then they kind of pause. No one makes any reaction at all to what Laufey's saying here. What? So what's happening here? Why does Laufey say it? Why does Loki react? And why does just no one do anything? Do they know that Loki is Laufey's son? No. No. In fact, I mean, it's interesting. In, uh, well, I'll, we'll talk about the script here in a second. But yeah, continue your thought. Well, I didn't know. Does, La does Laufey know? No. Like, I, OK, so they don't know. Um, so I was going to say that could have been a reason why they didn't right away. Uh, however, I, I think it's just it's it's Loki's reaction of just kind of like, mm -hmm. really? <laughs> that's the yeah. first thing you're going to say to me and and so they're kind of like waiting for the, the other frost giants are maybe waiting for um explicit orders to like yes kill him yeah but and, and then loki you know the silver tongue devil that he is goes right into his you know re reason why he's there and then it's like okay i'll listen to you you know so yeah, yeah. And, and, 
I think one of the themes we've been getting, though, through this, and it's been very subtle, but I think we've seen a number of signs of this, is that Laufey doesn't have absolute power right now. You know, I mean, back in Jotunheim, uh, like he was telling his people not to start a fight with Thor necessarily. And it was, you know, one of the the, the frost giants taunting Thor that started things. Um, we know that a couple of Jotuns worked with Loki to, you know, to go to Asgard and Laufey didn't seem to know about it, although that's a questionable debate here. It, it, to me, so I, I think it, it's subtle. I don't think it's a huge deal, but I did try to get the sense, I'm getting the sense at least that Laufey does not, people are not snapping to attention at Laufey's orders the way that he might want to be happening. There's something to that that I think is interesting because, well, I think it speaks to a lot of different things. Is like, is Laufey's rule coming to an end? Like, are people kind of tired of of him not being effective? I mean, Thor and his friends just came here, destroyed the place, killed all sorts of Jotuns, and were pretty much got off scot free. And and Laufey was just like, this means war, essentially. But then just kind of like shook his fists at the heavens and was just like, I'll get you next time. And then and now we find him just sitting in his throne room, really kind of not doing anything. He doesn't seem effective. And does that speak to him being ineffective? Does it speak to the fact that, you know, since 965 AD, all this time without the uh, casket of ancient winters plugged in, is leaving all the frost giants in a place where they're they're slower, they're weaker, they're not as effective, like you know, or kind of all of the above. Yeah, I mean, I think it's an interesting question. I think sort of one kind of movie trope that I, trope is almost the wrong word because I think it's a very interesting dynamic, but a dynamic that can happen is where you know the leader is saying, "Look, we're beaten. We have to be careful. Maybe I'm doing some very long term plotting, but like I don't want us." getting into another fight and the young hotheads are like, no, 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 we need new leadership. We need it. It was kind of an, an echo of what's been happening with Thor and Odin. So yeah, it's kind of a fun thing to think about. Like what, what are the politics uh, on Jotunheim right now? And to that point, I mean, you know, one of the, the listeners, uh, Joseph Park over on Facebook commented, I wonder if the frost giants who tried to steal back the casket of ancient winters were going to give it to Laufey or use it to supplant him. I tend to think based on what Loki does to Laufey later, that it would have been the latter. That's a very interesting perspective, and uh, that, again, speaks to, did Laufey know that that uh, people had, uh, that his troops had gone to Asgard to invade and tried to steal back the casket? Because in that earlier minute, he's kind of piecing it together, like like the way that he plays it is just like he's he's taking that information in, but then plays it in a way where like, yeah, oh yeah, we totally planned that. Um, and now when he says, so it was you who showed us the way, it kind of makes it sound like he was in on it from earlier, but also it could just be him, you know, again, playing to that point. I don't know. Where where do you land with that, Brian? Do you feel like Laufey was in on it from the beginning or is this something that he wasn't aware had happened? I always took it as he was aware. He just didn't know who from Asgard was a traitor. Mm. Mm, okay. But. Honestly, the more we're talking about it, and honestly, when I watched it la the other night, um, I did question whether or not he he knew because, like, why wouldn't he know who showed him the way? Like, just in, in what form did Loki come to them with this information? Yeah, we know he's a shapeshifter in, in in mythology, and he and he has his little tricks that he does, you know, uh, in in the MCU. 
So did he come as a different form? Did he come as a, you know, as a hologram or did he just kind of plant information of how to get there? My guess is when he says showed us the way, he just means us as in the greater frost giants, you know, the, <laughs> the Yotans. Yeah. Our yeah. yeah. Um, he's aware of what happened. I don't know if he was necessarily involved, but my initial original interpretation was he was aware uh, but I, I don't think so because now he's going to go, you know, he's going to make a deal with Loki basically uh, and get more personally involved now that he knows who who's their benefactor. Yeah, my take on it was that he found out after the fact, but he wasn't necessarily like one of the like people who was helping to make it happen. And he that he probably would have like tried to tell him to stop it. But to, to me, the thing that I don't quite know how to reconcile and maybe it's that there's a galaxy brain version of this that it lines up, or maybe it's just a bit of an inconsistency. He did earlier say there are traitors in the house of Odin. Yeah. You know, and to me, that's a pretty clear indication that he knows that Loki was involved. And so I don't get how that correlates with him now saying, Oh, so it was you. I, I didn't assume that it was, it was Loki. I just assumed that, I mean, it could be anyone who had access to the palace. Right. Really, you know, uh, at least that's kind of the way that I read it. That's possible. You, you sort of think like, okay, the trickster god is going to be the one who would have done it. But yeah, it may well have been that he just didn't know yet. I mean, if, if, if we were to logically think about it, it he, he could have come, he should have come to the conclusion that it was Loki. But perhaps when he says the house of Odin, you know, he just means Asgard proper. That's his house. That's his kingdom. Um, just, just somebody, not not necessarily somebody within the actual, you know, family or or even royal palace for that matter. Right. I mean, it's definitely interesting kind of verbiage and stuff. But I mean, I, I would assume again, I don't know how much all the different people in each of the realms know about everyone else in all the different realms. Like, did the Jotuns know that there are witches? up in Asgard and that Frigga herself is is a witch and that there are other people who use magic and cast spells um, because there could be somebody else who had access to the vault. I mean, we saw the Jotuns, they came in through the vault. So it seems like, you know, somebody must have had access. I mean, there are guards down there, but could a guard have learned some magic and, and been a, a warlock or a, a different type of witch or whatever it was that could have done this? So I, I don't know. I, I find it um, vague enough where it allows questions to kind of uh, sit where, you know, we don't necessarily need to like have those it completely spelled out. And then from Loki, you know, all season long, we've been talking about what are Loki's motivations? How much of this is a prank? How much of this is a serious plot? And, and Brian, you said earlier in the week something about how it's kind of a crime of opportunity. I feel like here he kind of gives the perfect summation of of what he's been thinking, where he says, you know, that was just a bit of fun, really, to ruin my brother's big day and to protect the realm from his idiotic rule for a while longer. Um, <laughs> to me, this is a fairly genuine statement from him that he was having fun. And it was a prank and he is jealous, but also he does think and. I think we agree is right that Thor would have been at that point at least a terrible king. What, what's your take on on where he's coming from there? Well, I, I do think it started out, like you said, as a prank, you know, at Thor's expense. However, that's quite a prank because a couple guards died at a result of this. So he, yeah. on, on both yeah. sides, both as guardians and <laughs> well, that's true. That's true. So um, and, and if you go back to Norse mythology, Thor was not really a bright god. You know, he was he was not known for. In fact. Odin used to send Loki with Thor so that Thor wouldn't get tricked. <laughs> um, so uh, the fact that he said his idiotic rule, and of course we're supposed to, you know, for the MCU purposes, he's a hothead. 
Uh, he's not he's not thoughtful. He's just basically a warrior. Um, you know, so yeah, he, if he could if he could interrupt the services, maybe maybe postpone Thor taking over the the throne. And yes, he is jealous. Um, but I don't think his whole big master plan took into place until after he learned that he's a frost giant. Until after Thor, you know, in I don't think he planned for Thor to get banned. Uh, you know, um, you know, thrown out, banished, and so now he's all the pieces are coming into into place for him. Odin is in the Odin sleep. Um, you know, Thor's gone, and he now, you know, he's already been. He's always been jealous, but now he has like a personal. He's hurt. He's definitely. Um, reading a lot into the the whole fact that he is n- not Odin's true son, because uh, you know even Odin said, "Hey, you are my child. You know, you are my kid. You you know, you're my son." He doesn't see it that way. He just thinks he was a a, a prize to be taken. Um, you know, back back from battle, and so now he's like, "I am going to let the world burn, and I'm I'm going to show everybody that I'm worthy by um, you know, you know, I'm basically I'll, I'll take over by." doing this whole plot with with Luffy, uh, you know, tr- tricking Thor into thinking he can never come back and and then now being the ruler of Asgard, at least while Odin's in the Odin sleep. And again, this was not all his initial intention. This is something that he was able to manipulate based on never. What is what is the old uh, saying? Never let a crisis go to waste. You know, yeah. <laughs> and he's he's he took he saw that crisis and he's taking full advantage to to uh, solidify his power there. So definitely. Well, and it's so interesting, and uh, we're, we'll definitely talk about this later. Um, that even here, he's he's you know spinning a story for Laufey, right? I mean, it, it, is he really going to let Laufey do these things that he says? Like, it's it's interesting the way that he's like even here he's using it to kind of further a different plot. Oh, right? yeah, he's he's definitely the trickster, the the god of lies and tricks and, and mischief. So yeah, he's living yeah. up to it for sure. It's not till a lot later in the movie, but obviously this plan with Laufey goes very differently, uh, particularly from Laufey's yeah, right, perspective. Right, exactly. And yeah, it'd be interesting to f- think about, like, did Loki have that in mind here? Or is that, again, yet another, like, crisis? Because it's very also in fitting with uh, Loki from mythology, that Loki in mythology is frequently the one who both talks his way into and then out of trouble. You know, but he he isn't the I have a 10 step plot. It's I have a plot. I screwed it up. Now I have another plot to fix that and then another plot to fix that. And then eventually I'll get out. Yeah. So what I find interesting here, because because Laufey, you know, he says, I'll hear you. And and they kind of continue this conversation. But this is where Loki kind of I mean, he just I mean, he really does go dark, though. Like all of a sudden, I mean, we've seen him kind of plotting and planning, but all of a sudden it's like. I will conceal you and a handful of your soldiers, lead you into Odin's chambers, and you can slay him where he lies. It's like, wow, okay. Uh, obviously, he's not your dad, but you just seriously went to a very dark place uh, here. I, I was very surprised by, um, I guess, when I when I saw this, it, it took me by surprise that Loki's plan went to such kind of this dark place. Did, did that kind of hit either of you? Uh, I'm surprised that yeah, he went straight to, you know, patricide, basically. Yeah. But I mean, because again, because his his initial, his yes, he 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 caused murders through his mischief, but it was really all in good, all in good fun at Thor's expense, really, in his opinion. And now he's talking about killing his his adopted father and replacing him on the throne. 
permanently, you know. Yeah. I think there's two things here, especially in terms of the harmless fun part. I think part of that is showing that in this regard, he's just as bad as Thor, if not worse, in terms of not caring about the people who his things affect. You know, I think he would say like, well, sure, like a couple of guards died, but no one real, you know, which is obviously a horrible saying, but that's kind of where where he'd be coming from. The other side, though, is I think this is an area where doing this minute by minute analysis has really changed me and in my not changed me, but like changed my feelings on on this character and this movie, because I think the first time I watched it, I saw this and was like, OK, yeah, that's that makes sense where he would be. I think having gone into this much in-depth analysis and really seeing the ways in which and again, Hiddleston just being an amazing actor, you've shown that. As much as Loki is trying to be Machiavellian, he does have so many genuine emotions about his father, about his family, about feeling rejected but not wanting to be. I feel like this time I watch it and it is obvious to me that he's lying through his teeth to Luffy. Like all the stuff he said before was true, but that here, at least my sense is he is trying to set up Luffy because in his mind, if he can do what Thor couldn't of actually defeating the Jotuns, you know, he wants his father to not just step aside so he can be king. He wants his father to love him. He wants his father to say, you are the true son, not Thor, and I make you king. Is there something also to that where, I mean, we were just talking about patricide, and he actually is planning on patricide, uh, actual patricide. Is there something about that, too? The fact that instead of having Odin get killed, he actually is planning on killing his own father. Uh, yeah. Do you think that there's something in like the reveal, the fact that maybe, you know, his dad didn't just intrinsically know that he was on Asgard and and come to get him or something like there, there's some intrinsic blame that he is now putting on Laufey in addition to all of the stuff that you just said, but something else that he's kind of. Like, in his head, like, I, I want to replace him now or something. Well, Luffy did leave him to die as a, as a child, as a, as a baby. So I'm sure there's a lot. I mean, there's Loki's messed up. <laughs> he's got a lot of issues. <laughs> he's got a lot of issues with his, <laughs> his adoptive father, and, and he's definitely got some issues, and I would say resent um, with his, his, uh, his birth father. And, and, yeah, I'm sure there is a revenge aspect to not just seeking uh, Odin's approval and and bettering Thor to show that he's the better son, but also now he sees uh, ag again a crime of opportunity in to take out um, his real father who left him to die, who um, you know he, he probably hates. You know, like he's yeah. It's it's a chance to seek revenge basically on everybody. Yeah, it's 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 always interesting. Like I'm I'm never quite. Sure. Like, was he abandoned? Was he like all the Jotuns were getting killed because uh, the Asgardians, uh, all the Einherjar guards, they were all kind of killing them. Um, was was he just kind of left somewhere, not abandoned, but his his mom had been killed? Like, I, like, I'm curious about the story of of Loki and the fact that he's just sitting there when Odin uh, happens to walk into the the temple. Um so, yeah, like, was he abandoned or is it something that um, is just kind of an interpretation of it? Well, certainly for everything Loki knows, he was abandoned because that's what Odin told him. Well, that's well, that's yeah, yeah exactly. But again, we don't that's, know that's the real. Victor talking, right? It, to me, what this, <laughs> I do think that in this moment, it's very much the. 
Loki trying to show his father, look, I am actually the most Asgardian child you have. You know, I'm willing to literally kill my frost giant origins to to demonstrate that I am a I'm Asgardian, not a frost giant. And I think, you know, that feels weird because not that long ago we saw him saying like, but I'm not an Asgardian. How could you lie to me? Clearly, this is who I am. To me, this feels very confusing, but also very real in that Loki is right now. Everything he thought he believed has been ripped away from him at the exact same moment that everything he always wanted has been given to him. And I, th- I think this is what's happening is that he's he's an emotional pinball right now. And he, he presents as incredibly calm and collected. But, you know, it's that kind of like the 12 year old boy who certainly this was me with my father. And I think a lot of people do this. Children of any gender, you know, mom, dad, I hate you. And and. Then, like, two seconds later, it's like, I need to win their approval back. But I hate them, but I love them. And I I think that's a lot of what Loki's going through here. And that it doesn't make sense. There isn't a logical through line that explains him taking over from his father, him wanting to help Laufey and wanting to help Odin. But I think that's intentional. I think it's just because of how, like you said, he's just bouncing. Like you said, he's he's not – this is not a stable guy (laughs) right now. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, and and it's, I mean, I don't know. I, I I definitely want to talk about the script, uh, but I do find it interesting that, that Laufey jumps at the chance so quickly. I mean, he has the whole, why not kill him yourself? But you can tell he really kind of like, he almost feels like he's foaming at the mouth at this idea, mm-hmm. at the prospect of being able to jump in there and do that. Uh, and certainly it's a good question, why not kill him yourself? Um, but I, I, I couldn't help like when Loki kind of pitches this to Laufey to think back to Thor pitching to the Warriors three and Sif uh, back in the in the hall, the dining hall, that the reasons that they should come to Jotunheim in the first place. And it's just like there were such bad reasons, but they're all like, yeah, that's great. We should definitely do that. And it's the same thing here. Like Laufey is getting this thing like this seems too good to be true. But yeah, I'm going to jump at the chance. I feel like, you know, I mean, should he maybe be thinking through this a little more than he is? <laughs> and and here's a question for you two. What's the what's the word in the realms about Loki? Like do people, I mean, he he knew about Thor and presumably Loki when they arrived. He recognized them. D- is the word out that Loki is the trickster god? Like would he should he be expecting a trick from Loki? I think they know he's he's maybe not so mis- mis- I would say mischievous, maybe not the god of lies, that type of thing, because even um, Volstagg early on said, what happened? Silver tongue turned to lead. And so I, I think mm-hmm. they just know that he's a he's a smooth talker, at least, you know, he's good. He's yeah. going to manipulate, yeah. manipulate you to do what he wants. But he lays his case out. I need you to kill Odin for me because, you know, you can't I the. I can't kill my predecessor. You know, <laughs> they would look, they look poorly yeah. on yeah. it. So given that he already wants to kill Odin anyways, La- you know, Laffy, he's like, fine. Okay. I mean, it makes sense. You need me. Um, you know, yeah. he doesn't see the, you know, what he doesn't see a double cross from the trickster God, although maybe he should have, but my, my guess is the word is out on Loki. I think everybody knows that he is at least, um, a smooth, a salesman. Let's just say, yeah. I, I think the word is out. I also think, though, that for Laufey, his position is getting steadily weaker every day, you know, and sure, like there's an adage in in poker where like, you know, 
uh, you want to wait for the right hand. But if you're losing and you're losing and you're losing and it's a tournament where like once you lose, you're just out like at some point you got to take a chance on a pair of sevens because you don't have time to wait for the pair of aces to come along, you know, and it's not good. But it's like, you don't you're not going to get many more good chances before everything falls apart. And for Laufey, like his world is literally falling apart. He may have dissension in the ranks if unless that's my own headcanon. But I, I think it's part of it, you know, and he's seeing that like his he did say to you know, Thor, like you were in the wrong to Odin, like you guys were in the wrong here and nothing's happened. You know, Thor's been banished, but they haven't won the war. It's not gone well. To me, it is a, def- a definite change for Laufey, but it's a change that makes sense because I feel like he's recognizing, like, I don't have much more time. This might be my best chance, even if I fully know this is somewhat of a trap. Yeah. So, yeah. So any other last things on uh, the way this plays out? Well, I do want to uh, go through the script. Yeah, go for it. Um, let, me, let me kind of read this because I find the script very interesting in the way that it presents this scene. You mean the script as written is different from this? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're going to go next because it's very different. The, um, so we're in, inside the temple here, and we do see that the ceiling is damaged. And I, I assume that's why in the movie we see snow blowing around in the throne room because, you know, the, the ceiling's been destroyed by uh, Thor's lightning. Uh, so Laufey says, tell me why I shouldn't kill you. Loki, I've come, come alone and unarmed. Laufey, to what end? Loki, to make you another proposition. Laufey, so you're the one who led us into Asgard. Loki, you're welcome. Laufey, my men are dead and I have no casket. You are a deceiver. He lashes out, grabs Loki around the throat, but Loki calmly stands his ground. Loki, you have no idea what I am. The blueness spreads across his face as Laufey and the guards stare in shock. Loki grins. Loki, hello, father. Laufey releases him. Loki's body turns back to normal. Intrigued, Laufey sizes up his son. Laufey, ah, the bastard son. I thought Odin had killed you. That's what I would have done. He's as weak as you are. Loki, no longer weak. I now rule Asgard until Odin awakens. Perhaps you should not have so carelessly abandoned me. This gives Laufey pause. Laufey, or perhaps it was the wisest choice I've ever made. I will hear you. Loki, I will conceal you and a handful of your soldiers, lead you into the chambers, and let you slay him where he lies. I'll keep the throne, and you will have the casket. Laufey studies Loki's face. Laufey, why would you do this? Loki, when all is done, we will have a permanent peace between our two worlds, then I, the bastard son, will have accomplished what Odin and Thor never could. Laufey, this is a great day for Jotunheim. Asgard is finally ours. Loki, no. Asgard is mine. The rest of the Nine Realms will be yours if you do as you're told. Laufey considers the proposition. I accept. So I guess the the big thing here is Loki reveals to Laufey that he is his son. Uh, I I don't know. Does this play better for you, Brian? What do you think? Or do you do we like it the way that it uh, that that the scene actually plays in the finished film? I mean, I think I think the way the scene plays in the finished film is totally fine. I think Hiddleston's really good. Actually, I think um, I forget the guy's name plays Laufey. He's he's great, too. Colm Fiore. I think their interaction is 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 effective and great. And we get just what we need from the scene to move the story forward that being said what you just read is way better (laughs) (laughs) him loki revealing that he is um he's a he's a frost giant that he's laufey's son that makes laufey seem a little bit more uh, it seems smarter because he knows answer the question we know that laufey knows that um loki is a trickster he 
you know, you, you can't trust him. This gives him reason to trust him. Yes. And and he explains exactly why, you know, this is this is a win win for everybody, you know, and and it, and it gives reason why Luffy might go along with it, because it's 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 a it's a it's too good to refuse. There's just there's too much upside. You know, my son. Yeah, he was my bastard son. I abandoned. Now he's, you know, whatever. He's going to take over Asgard. And now he even says, we will rule everything. And he goes, no, Asgard's mine. Fine. That's a fair deal. It's kind of like Lex Luthor telling, yeah. you know, the, the three, um, you know, Kryptonian criminals that he just wants Australia. <laughs> they can have the rest of the world. <laughs> so Luffy gets eight realms. He gets his casket back. He gets rid of Odin and Thor. And now his son, you know, you got to think it's not a bad deal that even though he doesn't have Asgard, his son is on the throne, a fellow Jotun, you know, Jotun. And then, you know, I'm sure they can they, they can make things work between them. Um, and I, I just like the fact that he, he reveals that that they're, that's his son. And then it really sets up, you know, what happens later, you know, Um yeah, I, I think they should have gone with it. I, I don't think there was there's really not that much as far as that, like what you were describing that they, they could have cut out for budget purposes. I would think like it doesn't seem like there'd be they'd be CGI heavy. It seemed like it was pretty simple for them to show him turning blue. They did it once already. So uh, yeah, I think right. they should have done with it. I, I think that, yeah. if you needed to cut time, you, you probably could have cut time somewhere else. Or if it was five minutes longer, who cares? Because <laughs> it's a good addition, you know? <laughs> it, it's yeah, interesting because, yeah. and maybe I'm just not giving the actors enough credit, I had the exact opposite reaction. To me, one thing I like so much about Loki is how much subtleness there is, how much nuance, how much we're left guessing at what he really wants. To me, this scene has all the subtleness of a hammer, but no pun intended. You know, it just feels like... The language felt almost hokey to me in a way that felt very out of character for the way they've been talking this movie. It felt more like like there should be a mwahaha and some r- twisting of a mustache somewhere in there. Um, I don't know. Any, any, what's your take? I, 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 I kind of side with Brian on this one. I really enjoy the way that this plays out. I, I like I. I I, I just I maybe it's because I really struggle to see like why does Laufey just buy into this so quickly in this particular thing and the way that that Loki clearly has a plan that kind of makes sense I'm like okay so there's a lot more to it he's revealing himself as a Jotun to build this plan for the Jotuns to essentially take over the realms like I feel like there's a lot more strength in kind of laying it out there like that and and even knowing that Loki is intending to kind of uh you know stab Laufey in the back later I just think that it sets it up for something that I would have bought into more and I love this idea of this confrontation between father and son again in a story about fathers and sons like uh, having that relationship more firmly established at this point I think would have been really nice so I I this this is one that I do really miss I very much get what you're saying. I think though that's for me, that's also kind of where I, I don't love the scene. I really like that in the movie as we get it, Loki never acknowledges Laufius's father. He never says that. He never he never really comes to terms with that and accepts any he accepts that like this is his actual father. And 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 this makes it real in a way that I kind of don't love. 
Um, but but I, I think you can see it. I think it's possible that because words on a page aren't a good, it, it's very possible that in the mouth of Tom Hiddleston, in the mouth of both of these great actors, the scene would play a lot better than I think it reads on screen. So you may well both be right there. I was just thinking about like we kind of do get a similar scene like this in in Guardians of the Galaxy two when it's like Ego is technically um, the father of Peter Quill, but his dad is Yondu, you know, and you could still have that by, I I get what you're saying. Like he doesn't acknowledge Luffy as his, as his father in the film. And that's kind of good, but you could still acknowledge that. Yes. Father, but my dad is Odin, you know, when he comes, when he finally comes to term with that eventually. And honestly, that is his whole plot. You know, he's, he is trying to seek Odin's approval still with, with what, what he puts in place. Well, and that's what I find so interesting about it is like he would be acknowledging himself as Laufey's son only to then kill him. Like, I feel like that even holds more power. We're like, oh, by the way, I'm your son. Take that. Like, I I don't know. I, I think that that's a really interesting. I feel it's more Shakespearean that way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's possible. Yeah. possible. I will say, though, and again, it's deleted, so it doesn't count. But we keep trying to go back and forth on was Loki abandoned, like, to die because he was a runt, or was he just, like, as you said, hidden maybe in the midst of war? This scene certainly does seem to say that, yeah, Laufey was like, you you know, you were weak. You should have been killed. That's why I abandoned you. Yeah, which is also very interesting. Yeah. That dismissal of of the father. So Right. Well, even though Odin has been shown to be a liar— you know, or or a um, he's a bit of a trickster himself. <laughs> um, Certainly, I I took it at face value of what he was saying about finding a because he says small for a frost giant, and right, and you know even Vikings, you know like you know who worship the Norse gods, they would abandon a crippled baby out in the snow. So I mean, I mean the the, the infants. In, in fence, oh, I, I can't even speak right now. But that did happen in real life, you know. We, right. <laughs> unfortunately. So, was that very possible that that Laufey did that because the frost giant was basically um, not up to snuff and it was was the runt? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think so. So I, I just take Odin's word for it. It would have been nice to got to get confirmation from that deleted scene if it was actually filmed. Yeah. Right. 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 All right. Well, I think that um, that kind of wraps up the minute. All the big stuff I wanted to talk about is any other last stuff that either you want to get into, either about this minute or about this just sort of series of five minutes we've had. No, I, I think I I covered everything I had to say. Appreciate it. Yeah. No. It's. A, I mean, this is a juicy scene right here. All yeah. of the the machinations that Loki continues to evolve <laughs> over the course of the film. So I I can't wait to kind of continue jumping back into this next week. Definitely. Definitely. Well, Brian, you've been such a great guest. Thank you again. Uh, one last time for uh, folks who have been hearing your stuff. They want to like hear more about you. Uh, tell them where to find your podcast. Well, before I do that, I just want to take the time to thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Andy, for having me here this whole week. It's been a lot of fun. Um, Thor is, I think I stated this earlier in the week, that he's my second favorite MCU character. Um, so I was very happy to come on and, and talk about this movie. Um, so yeah, again, th- thanks again. But yeah, if anybody's interested in, in hearing more of my uh my speaking voice. <laughs> um, and, and especially if you like comics, the Marvel events timeline is, uh, is the place to find me, uh, in Travis bow. Um, we're, we're fairly new to, to, to the, uh, to this particular, um, uh, project. So you can get in on the ground floor and it, that's just at the, uh, Marvel events pod actually on, t- on Facebook and Twitter nice. and, uh, and Instagram. And then, you know, we can, we're, we're on 
your favorite pod catcher of choice. <laughs> so thanks again. Awesome. <laughs> well, we definitely have people check it out, but you did leave kind of a, a very big door uh, uh, left open that I got to walk through. So if Thor's your second favorite, who's your favorite MCU character? Uh, Captain America. So next season. I was about to invite you on a podcast, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> team Tony all the way. But yeah, I, I can get that. Well, thank you so much. You've been such a great guest. Andy, thank you as always uh, for all the stuff we do to help make this possible and to our fans. You're why this works. So thank you all so much. Please let us know what you think and have a great day. Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is One Last Ride by Martin Puringer. Find the show at truestory.fm. And if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show. Oh,